everyone, and welcome to Life Wealth's May 2021 podcast. My name is Jason Harwood, CEO of Life Wealth, and joining me today is James Vandaloo, head of Life Wealth's Investment Committee. Hello, James. Hey, Jason. How are we? Uh, very well, very well. Um, I was just listening back to some of our old podcasts uh, in preparation for today, James, and uh, it's really striking how much we're back to a level of normality. We're sitting in the office. We've been in the office for most of the last week. Much of our teams here. It's uh, nice to be back to a a semblance of normality. Sure, sure is. Sure is. It's been a pretty amazing journey over the last 12 to 18 months, that's for sure. It has, and there's almost an element of PTSD kicks in when you just hear about a case somewhere and are we going to have another lockdown? And we've seen that in some other states in, in, in short measure, but uh, hopefully uh, vaccinations rolling out, albeit slowly, hopefully we can uh, have a level of confidence about domestically um, being relatively under control for hopefully a good period of time. Yeah, fingers crossed. It's obviously here in Melbourne uh, getting chilly again. We're going into flu season, so fingers crossed we can we can get through the winter. And if we can, we'll just about be through and hopefully the vaccine rollout will be a little bit more advanced. Which would be great. And uh, I will actually make the point just really early in this podcast, I was talking to one of our uh, longstanding clients who uh, recently who made a suggestion that we, we should perhaps uh, um, spend some time in our podcast going back and thinking about and reflecting on some of the predictions we made in the past and some of the comments we made in the past. And we're definitely going to take that up, which is why I was listening to previous podcasts. Um, we're definitely going to take that up in the future. And I think there's real value in us doing that. Um, we're not going to do that today because we're going to focus specifically on the budget. We'll do that in um, in uh, the next couple of podcasts, but it'd be interesting uh, for us to reflect on some of the things we said 12 months ago about um, impact of the pandemic on markets um, and you know where peak cases, where it's fair to say we got peak cases very wrong 12 months ago. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Um, as I said, uh, we're, we're definitely going to focus on the, the budget today. Um, look, as many of the listeners to the podcast would already have read, um, it's been referred to in some quarters as very much a splashing the cash budget. Um, it's also been said that it uh, was a budget that leaves open the option for the, the government to call an election early. Um, you know, one of the things that we both talked about was um, there was a lot of extending of, of existing measures. Um, but it wasn't necessarily a controversial budget. No, it wasn't. I think there was nothing that really uh, surprised us too much, to be honest. Um, people might remember last year the budget was a bit of an emergency budget and they really did splash the cash right when we were in the teeth of the, the pandemic. Um, this budget really just has extended that, saying we're still in the recovery phase. Um, they're spending plenty of money to try and get us back rolling. Um, so therefore, there's not a whole lot new and exciting out of this budget, to be honest. Yeah, and I mean, deficits, I mean, it's almost like we've got used to deficits, isn't it? And we might touch on that a little bit later on when we talk about, you know, potential implications of portfolios and things like that. But we, we so we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, as I said, there's been certainly some, um, you know, extensions of a couple of measures too that sort of stand out straight away, low middle income tax offset. Yep. So that one came in um, at last year's budget as an emergency measure, and that was the $1,080. Mm-hmm. So that one's been rolled through for another year. Yep. The other one was the instant asset write-off, which uh, you made the comment when we were preparing for the podcast. It actually feels like that one's been around forever. Yeah, it certainly it certainly has. So they've uh, they've pushed that one out until 2023. 20, mm. uh, so um, it it might have spurred a bit of people rushing out to get that write-off. Um, a little while ago, but I'd say most of the people have already done that. So I'm not sure what um, what benefits will um, 
will flow from it, other than making people's tax returns more confusing that we write it off in one year rather than rather than over the five, which well. Yeah, exactly previously. right. The the other interesting thing will be not so much now and the fact that it's been extended. What what happens at some point down the track when they take that away? Because I think small businesses absolutely just got used to that as just being part of how we operate now. So <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, okay, so um, there are a couple of extended measures. Um, I think there's uh, certainly uh, a couple of measures that were expanded that are that, you know good for younger people and um, you know. Uh, early stage making their way in the world, you know, young families and things like that. So there were some benefits around childcare. Uh, yes, there are, and they've made it a little bit cheaper for uh, for most families, other than the really, really, even the high income families get a little bit of a little bit of a benefit out of it because they've uh, used to cut out at about one hundred ninety thousand a year, so they've mm-hmm. taken that that cap off. Yep, um, and it looks like. Uh, the benefit will be about one hundred and fifty to one hundred and seventy dollars a week for mm. most middle income families, which which is not nothing when it comes to childcare, is it? No, no, any bit helps, and they're trying to get people um, back into the workforce, which is which is good, without a doubt. Uh, first home deposit. First home deposit. Yeah, I'm not sure that one's going to um, help a, a great deal if we're if we're honest. But um, they're trying to get people into the housing market, so they've basically allocated another ten thousand places into a program, where if you uh, if you qualify, you can buy with as little as a two percent deposit, mm, which is amazing, isn't it? It, it is, and access a little bit more money out of uh, out of superannuation to mm. use as well. So uh, they're trying to uh, help around affordability. Um, if I'm honest, I think it's a little bit of a token gesture, and it's not really going to help. But uh, if you're lucky enough to get in that program, you might get into the market a little bit earlier. I've got to say, I agree with you on that. I mean, one, it feels a little bit token. Um, secondly, that's barely going to keep pace with the rise in house prices since the budget was uh, delivered a week ago. Uh, prices would have gone up more than that in that last uh, seven days. But the other thing for me is, um, I don't know, there's something that makes me a little bit nervous about being able to get into houses with 2% deposit with interest rates at historic lows. At some point, and it may well be some time, but at some point, rates are going to go up. That's going to put some pressure on. It's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. We'd we'd want to hope they stay low for uh, for quite a few years and let people build in. What what actually I'm skipping here, but there's been some news this week about the Victorian state budget mm. um, wanting to really lift stamp duty. Now, to me, that's something that'll slow house prices down and make mm. it more affordable mm. because you're making it harder to to transact. But um, yeah, it's it's like most of the federal government policy is quite stimulatory, so it's positive for asset prices. Mm. And then they're saying, well, some people are being left behind, so let's try and find a scheme to help them in if if, if we can. So um, nice if you can get it. It's 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 actually interesting, and we we try desperately to stay away from any sort of political comment uh, in our podcast. But it's an interesting turn of events, especially in the context of the last 12, 15 months since the age of corona hit us, the age of uh, COVID, um, you know, and that sort of disconnect at times between um, state government and federal government. Uh, and, and to your point, you know, federal federal government's um, not necessarily looking to slow down housing price growth, but the state government's taking measures that may well do that anyway, and that's not particularly or um, historically their purview. No, no, and I, I don't think... They're doing it for that reason. I think they're doing it because they want some cash out mm. of developers and um, what they perceive as rich people, which is um, houses over $2 million. Um, 
I don't think that's rich people anymore. I, I think that's family people trying to buy a house in inner city Melbourne close to a really good school to send their kids. Mm. Um, so it's very much the mortgage belt. So uh, I don't think it's very helpful policy, but that's just my opinion. But we'll see how we, that rolls out, won't we? Because uh, that's not official as yet, but uh, we'll, we'll see how that rolls out. Certainly not happy in the property uh, the property lobbies at the moment. No, exactly right. Um, what we might spend some time on, because I think this is uh, really valuable for, for many of our clients, not all our clients, because as we've said many times in this podcast, we have a, a very um, varied group of uh, uh, clients and demographic, if you like. Um, but there were some uh, measures around superannuation. Um, and so there's probably three that I think we should touch on. Um, downsizing policy. Do you want to spend some time talking about downsizing? Yeah, so um, so downsizing was already was already a thing, but what they've done is reduce the age. So now people over sixty uh, will will be eligible for that scheme. And uh, if you're over sixty and lived in the lived in the home for more than ten years, um, you're eligible to put some more money into superannuation. About three hundred. Three hundred thousand um, per person. So if you're a couple, that's six hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. And that does not count towards the other cap. So even if you've filled up your boots and you're up to your caps, you can still do this on top of that, which is a very tax-efficient um, tax scheme. Mm. So that's something I think some of our clients will definitely be able to benefit from. Um, so th- that's a good one. Um, and, and I think let, let's uh, jump into another one as well. So I said there was three. Um, the second one is uh, the removal of the work test Yes. Uh, to be making contributions into superannuation for people between the ages of 67 and 74. That's got the potential, um, as you said, the, the downsizing is on top of the, the other uh, options that are available. That's exactly right. So that's going to be a good one too. That one will still be subject to cap, so it's, it's a non-concessional cap. But um, we quite often are in a situation with clients where they've got plenty of money outside super. We would uh, love to get it into that more tax-efficient environment but we're not able to because mm. they're not working anymore. Um, this gives us another lever to pull to um, not not have to meet that step, um, which is a good thing. So definitely that's going to have some practical application in our business for our clients. Agree. And, and that's actually maybe a good time just to, I, I guess, touch on financial planning and, and, and strategies. Um, and you're, you're the best person to talk about this uh, far more so than me. But... You know, it's never about just bringing a single solution to a client's circumstance. It's about pulling all the different things we have off the shelf and and molding them to a client's personal situation. That's exactly right. I mean, if you think about the core of what what we do, um, for our older clients that are in close to retirement, um, we're really using their savings and what they've built up to build a a passive income stream to to fund them in retirement. where that portfolio sits and the tax environment it sits in, it's actually a really big, big lever to pull. Yeah, critical. Um, when you when you look at the total returns a pot produces, uh, the less we have to share with the tax man, the more we have to live off. Uh, obviously, the more the more efficient that strategy is. So, um, um, so that's going to be helpful for us. Um, and that's always been the case. But as we've said many times in this podcast over the last couple of years, especially in a low interest rate environment where you can't generate much income from uh, you know fixed interest and, and, and cash and all that. From, from anything safe, yeah. So uh, across the board, the cash flow our portfolios are producing uh, like for like is less than what it was a few years ago because of the environment. Mm. So anything we can do to make it more tax efficient is going to have a 
big help. And we hope that changes, but it's pretty unlikely it's going to change in the next few years. And we might um, we might circle back in a second and just talk about the interest rate outlook. We talk about that on most podcasts. Maybe not so much. I mean, we'll, we'll obviously make reference to Australia, but I think in the context of the US. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we'll, we'll circle back on that in a moment because I, I want to cover off the third uh, budget measure around superannuation, the four hundred and fifty dollar income threshold being removed as well. Yeah, so it's probably less relevant to most of our client base, but possibly relevant to a lot of um, a lot of their children or, or part-time workers, where you had to have a minimum amount of income in a in, in a month or a quarter to qualify for super. Um, that's been dumped. So if you work and you're on the books, you're now gonna get some super, um, which is a good thing. Mm, yeah, without a doubt. Um, all right. So now that we're here and we just made that comment about interest rates a moment ago. Um, not much moving on interest rates in Australia, a little bit of commentary, but I think that's more about well, what's happening in the States and some almost ructions over there in the last couple of weeks. Do you want to talk about interest rate outlook in the States and why there is this interest rate inflation type commentary coming out of the States at the moment? Yeah. So it's not surprising, to be honest. If you think of the um, low that we were 12 months ago with everything stalling in the global economy, um, now things are getting rolling again and you've got reflation uh, going on and a lot of stimulus, um, what you're getting is a little bit of inflation creeping into the gauges. So people are suddenly saying, oh, uh, these interest rates forever, is this really um, sustainable? The truth is it's too early for us to know, mm. right? And that's what's happening in the markets at the moment. The markets are almost having this debate. Um, and... You've got the central bankers saying, of course, we're seeing inflation from where we've come from. We believe it'll be transitory. Um, and once we roll through this six to 12 month period, things should stabilize. And we don't think we're going to have an inflation problem. That's the perfect scenario. That's the Goldilocks scenario where rates can stay very, very low. And perhaps they rise a little bit because we're not in emergency settings, but they're still relatively low. And we're in this low rate world. That's what they want to engineer. But then you've got the other side of the equation saying, hey, you don't know what you've done. You're spending so much. There's so much more. Um, you're having a boom. There is going to be inflation. And if there is, the central banks have to change the way they operate because it's their mandate to, con mm. to limit inflation. Mm -hmm. And if we get it and it's not transitory, they will put the brakes on the economy. The only tool they have to do that is by raising the cost of money. That's the, the risk. So um, my personal view is not much happens in short rates, probably till 2023. Mm -hmm. um, but um, for those that think they'll be zero forever, I think they're mm. very naive. Yeah, I, um, I think that's, that's, that's fair comment. Um, you know, everything new under the sun. <laughs> yeah. uh, so do you want to then come back to... Um, Australia and, and a little bit of commentary over the last week or two off the back of what's happening in the States. I mean, you already touched on the fact that, you know, there's not much pressure on interest rates in Australia at the moment. Do you just want to make any comment about that? Or Yeah, there isn't. There, there isn't. Um, but Australia doesn't really set the cost of capital. Remember, our banks borrow from offshore. Yeah. So if rates rise overseas, they will eventually rise rise here in Australia. And mm -hmm. I, I don't think it's a 2021 or even a 2022 problem. Perhaps late 2022, uh, it comes up. Um, but rates should be a little bit higher 
um, in 2023. Now, I don't think they'll be crazy yeah. high. Governments don't want them to be crazy high. They've done all this borrowing, right? Um, they've got to service their interest bills too. Mm. Um, so when I say higher, I'm not talking about going from 0% to 4%, mm. but um, going from even zero to um, um, to half a percent is actually a material lift in, in uh, uh, interest servicing costs. So uh, it'll be interesting how that, how that plays out over over the next few years. Um, I'm sitting here looking at you with a smile on my face because I think I'm sure we talked in the last podcast about relativity, and uh, you know, let's say and and God forbid, but let's say rates rose to four percent. Historically, or through my working life, most of that time, if you get rates at five percent, you would have been incredibly happy. Five percent on your home loan, you'd be going, "This is fantastic!" It's, you know, it's been so much higher than that. Now, five percent would feel like an Armageddon. I think five percent would cause a global depression. Exactly right. So um, we we I can't see a, a scenario where we where we go where we go anywhere near that high. I think, as we said, because even a quarter of a percent or half a percent is such a big incremental lift, um, that will slow demand. Mm. So um, the rate cycle will turn. It'll start rising again. But I think in the next cycle, it'll peak at a lower level, much lower than what we're used to. Historically, but um, they're going to have to go up a little bit. Yeah, no doubt. And, and also, God forbid, circling all the way back to what we talked about at the start. Um, uh, you know, first home, de- first home deposit relief and, and support, and getting into properties with two percent deposits. You wouldn't want to see rates getting up too high, would you? No, I mean, you know, most people's home loans. Some have got a one. Most mm. have got twos. Yeah. You might be a bit lucky, three. When when we're doing our numbers for clients buying their cash flows, we're still using fours mm. um, on serviceability and, and so forth. So, um, you know, a little bit higher than today is certainly plausible. Um, a lot of things that have to go really, really wrong in the global economy for them to be much higher than that, I think. Yeah, and, and, and to be absolutely fair to any bankers who may be listening to the podcast, I mean, that's how they stress test serviceability for their clients, whether for business loans or for, for personal and for home loans. I mean, they definitely stress test them at a higher interest rate. That's correct. And, and higher than what we use. Yeah, true enough. True enough. Um, now, the real winners, as far as I can tell, looking through everything, uh, James, from the budget with the beer makers and the distillers. Uh, up, to, <laughs> up to up to a three hundred and fifty uh, tax cuts up to three hundred and fifty k I believe or something like that. So first of all, you, you're making beer on a regular basis, you're, or gin on a regular basis, yeah. and you're getting to partake in your product. Yeah, and you're getting a tax break. So all for innovation, all for supporting the uh, let's call them primary producers of Australia. That's exactly right. It's uh, nothing like a budget to show where uh, your priorities lie as a nation. Absolutely. And it may even be a thank you for the support they gave us during lockdown. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, look, we covered off those uh, budget measures. Look, we didn't want to go into everything. There was just a couple that we thought were worth uh, covering off. Um, Any, any, I guess, implications around portfolios and uh, uh, portfolio strategy from the budget? You know, it's only early days, of course, um, but any portfolio implications that you foresee at this stage? Yeah, there wasn't anything that stood out Massively, okay. This is a bit of money for biotechs, right? And innovation. Mm. I think that's coming off the back of COVID and vaccines. So they're trying to make Australia more of a, a of a place where that type of industry can thrive. Which smart historically hasn't been a great mm. great hunting ground here in Australia. Most of the good stuff's gone gone offshore. Um, so that's probably a winner. 
um, there was obviously a little bit of money for aged care and, and, and more for home packages. So um, some of our clients would be familiar with Mabel. They've got a pre-IPO investment. So um, that aged care sector looks like it'll have more money flowing to it and it's going to be tidied up post the Royal Commission. So that looks like a little bit of a winner. And um, really, other than that, it's just more of the same. It's a bit of a big spending budget. So the cyclicals at the moment, I don't know if anyone's doing a renovation at home, try and get a bit of timber to um, to do. The Bunnings doesn't have any mm. at the moment. So um, that cyclical push in those businesses, I think is going to continue. I uh, read somewhere, and I, I didn't read it in any great depth, depth, but I read on the weekend something about Hyundai used cars of two or three years old are selling for more than brand new Hyundais just simply because they can't get stock of new cars. That's exactly right. There's, um, I think it's a shortage of uh, microchips. So um, so there is a lot of um, new car dealerships that are taking orders but don't have stock on the ground for you to take. So therefore, if you want a car quick, you're, you're paying uh, big bucks for for a used one. That, that'll roll off, but yeah, of course. it's gonna, gonna be a little while. It, it actually, for all that it feels like life stays the same, just every now and then you hear a sentence uh, and it makes you realize just how far we've come in our lifetimes. Um, if you had have said to our parents 30 or 40 years ago that the delay in getting the new car was because there was a shortage of microchips, I'm not sure we would have really understood what we were talking about. Absolutely. And, and they're those lingering things that make you uh, remember that the, the impact COVID mm. has had in supply chains. Uh, while much improved, we're still not quite rolling. And, and I tell you what, I mean, it's, it's well beyond what we have the capabilities of talking about. That's even without considering the, the implications geopolitically of COVID over the last 12 months because there are some... There are some things going on in the world right now. But I will say it's very nice not waking up every morning, opening up Twitter and wondering what was coming out of the President of the United States' mouth uh, or, or two thumbs over the previous 12 hours. It's been pretty quiet, hasn't it? It's been nice that it's been so quiet. Mm. Yeah, very good. All right, um, anything else you wanted to cover off before we uh, finish, James? Yeah, I, I, as I said, I don't think it was the um, the most game-changing budget. Mm. It was very much a more of the same budget. So, um, no, I think that's a, that's a reasonable summary. But if anybody has any queries about specific things they might think are relevant to their personal circumstances or their business, just get on the blower and... Uh, and we'll do some work for you. Absolutely, fantastic. Um, as always, thanks for your time today, James. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening. Um, and just reiterating what James said, we're always on the end of the phone. If anyone's got any questions or any queries, please feel free to pick up the phone or drop us an email or, or, or whichever way is easiest to uh, get in contact with us. Uh, thanks again, James. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, everyone, for listening. The information in this podcast is intended to be general in nature and does not take into account your personal situation. Therefore, it does not constitute and is not intended to be financial services advice. You should consider whether the information is appropriate to your needs and where appropriate, seek professional personal advice from your financial advisor.